0: G'day! Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio for episode number one four four eight, entitled "I Am Chatman." I am Rob Jan, and our podcast title is Flash Podden. On oh, apologies for not having the podcast up and running these past couple of shows as we're in the process of recruiting a new podcaster and I've not been able to tackle podding myself, not enough batterangs in the utility belt at the moment. Ah, I can, of course, as an alternative, simply refer you to the audio-on-demand capability on the Free Triple R FM website, where you can simply click on any episode of Zero G to listen back to in all its, uh, well, its gory, with musical interludes, as well as broadcast. Be afraid, be very afraid. The podcast, because of copyright usage, does not include the musical tracks. Anyway, just go to rrr.org.au and find The Zero G Show and follow the prompts, if you dare. Now, our co-host, Megan McHugh, is still undergoing screening against her being a shape-shifting scroll infiltrator. Some issues have been raised when she was questioned at the spaceport about whether she likes her sandwiches cut diagonally or straight across. Bread-related queries aside, Megan should be back next week. Now, today, amongst other things, I'll be running alongside DC's new theatrical release movie, The Flash, which is out in cinemas at the moment. It's not doing as well box office-wise as it might. In fact, it's doing rather poorly, and it's also being shouldered aside by the next big thing, the Indiana Jones movie. So you might, ironically, get your running shoes on if you want to catch up with it on the goes. So what's it say in the... Daily Planet sidebar about this fast-moving feature. Well, it's directed by Argentinian filmmaker Andy Muschietti, whose debut horror feature 2013's Mama was executive produced by Guillermo del Toro after he was impressed by the short three-minute film that the feature was based on. Michetti has garnered a lot of cinema genre cred points with his sturdily horrific two-part motion picture adaptation of Stephen King's IT novel. And he's also been an executive producer on the Lock and Key fantasy series and serves in the same capacity aboard the Welcome to Derry streaming series. Now, that is a prequel to IT and is not to be confused with the British teen comedy series Derry Girls, in spite of the coincidence that... uh, Series Monica Jackson from that comedy show has a minor role in The Flash. What can I say? All things are possible in the multiverse. Now, here's the fifth director attached to The Flash. Um, he's also attached to a Netflix remake of werewolf cult classic The Howling. Good God. And a live-action reboot of the anime Attack on Titan. Ooh, that will be huge, so to speak. He's also directing the Batman family movie, The Brave and the Bold. That's Batman's family, not yours. And various producing roles, including assorted Stephen King adaptations. Now, Christina Hodson is the script writer for The Flash. We know her from her script for Bumblebee, one of the better entries in the Transformers series, and that bar is pretty low generally. She also wrote Birds of Prey, the... well. What's the big subtitle for that? Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, which I thought was a pretty good DC movie. I thoroughly enjoyed that. She was also the most recent screenwriter to script the notoriously unreleased Batgirl movie. And Christina Hodson is part of the writers' room for James Gunn's DCEU going forwards. Well, The Flash is the 13th DC movie, which stands for Detective Comics, don't you know? Which is to say DC Extended Universe movie. Uh, Technically took wobbly flight did the franchise back in uh, 2013 with Zack Snyder's film Man of Steel. Although since the Flash is a multiversal film, which nostalgically reaches back into previous DC-based media, it technically could be part of a how do we put this one DC E E M to seem well, it could be part of that the Dix, DC extended extended multiverse, <laughs> much as the Marvel films have already become with their multiverse by notionally porting and hoovering up the X-Men movie canon as well as previous spider screeners. It's a curious flavour of the decade, fan-servicing phenomena, don't you think, this whole multiverse thing? It must look particularly odd to outsiders, I'd guess. I don't know. I'm on the inside, so it's hard to tell. Uh, Wheels within wheels within wheels. This is one of the existential complications of the Flash movie right there at the starting line. The speedster character, the Flash, Finds that he can sprint so fast that he can cross over into other parallel universes and so can access other parts of the multiverse, including, as in the trailer, so not really a spoiler here, a world where Michael Keaton playing Bruce Wayne and the Dark Knight lives on in retirement in the Tim Burton kickstarted Batman 1980s timeline. You know, you can fairly judge a fan by which doctor in the Doctor Who universe. They remembered most well, or is their favourite. And you can also do the same thing with DC characters too. Of course, multiverses have been quite the thing recently. We've thoroughly explored on Zero-G in our coverage of 2016's Doctor Strange and its recent sequel, The Multiverse of Madness. Avengers Endgame, which was based around that whole premise. And the Loki and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. live-action and animated series, What If... And the two remarkable animated Spider-Man multi-first movies, as well as the Spider-Man No Way Home film, which splendidly, seamlessly managed to slurp up and incorporate two previous Spider-Man movies incarnations, sweeping them all into the current MCU. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, and Loki Season 2 and more What-If seasons and spin-offs are in the works, as well as the King, the, sorry, the King, the, Kang the King, the, king of the, of the future. It's a Kang saga. They will point towards more multiverse munging together in future. Watchers, and I do use the term mischievously, will know that DC has been doing a lot of multiverse mucking around in its live action television series too, with a lot of nostalgia casting of veteran DC related actors in new contemporary roles. Some playing crossovers too with other shows, and of course. Even the uh, the 1970s Wonder Woman Linda Carter popped up in the most recent 1980s Wonder Woman feature movie. And then there's the glorious everything, everywhere, all at once movie, bageling the multiverse concept down firmly in the popular culture outside both Marvel and DC. And do not get me started again on the long history of parallel dimensions and alternative universes already ventured into in both DC and Marvel's comic book printed pages, because I've already delved into that in the recent Zero-G episode about Spider-Man across the multiverse. Anywho, the whole thing makes all of my heads spin. And this is the, the multiple, similar but not identical worlds context, which even I admit is completely overcrowded already. And this is what the Flash movie jumps into with both running booted feet, which cannot help but lessen its impact for me and give it the feeling that we've heard all of its grace notes, both recently and repeatedly across several studios. Such are multiple lives. And there's a soundtrack to this film. It's got needle drops as well as the obligatory big score, Uh, Benjamin uh, Wolfish's score for The Flash, The OST, the original soundtrack. Worlds Collide, brackets, Superman version. So this is all about multiverses in collision. Multiple worlds in collision, which we have already discussed. No, I won't go there because I've already done all that in the Spider-Man multiverse movie about previous DC incursions into multiverses and so on in the comic books. All right, Worlds Collide, the Superman version. This is from the billion dollar composer um, Benjamin Wolfish, who's films, and I'll go into that after the track, uh, have amassed multi-billions of dollars at the box office. So the go-to for this kind of thing, when you're not after, like, Hans Zimmer or any of the other ones who attach themselves to superhero movies. So worlds collide. I guess Superman's the one to bang those things together, isn't he, really? I'm Scott Westerfeld, author of Peeps and series Leviathan, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple FM great Scott one of them there anyway and that was World Collide, a Superman version from the new movie The Flash which is a thing out there in the multiverse in the cinema as it were what a pleasure it is to go to the cinema it's something that we took so much for granted before the Pando and now it's like every time I can get there it's like oh my god here I am and it's strange, you know, I've been going to movies for a very long time now. <laughs> and the first ones I can recall going out to, as opposed to watching them on television, it's um, like Three Stooges shorts and westerns being played in the local suburban town hall where I grew up. And I can actually remember for some of the silent ones that they actually had a pianist there playing music. Not very good, but it seemed great to me. And I can remember sitting under pretty crappy metal chairs lying on the floor underneath them if it was a hot day and gazing up in wonder at the scratchy films being played in the local town hall, which is still there to this day too. I don't know if they do anything like that anymore. But, you know, many years ago... No, I know, it wasn't like the silent era of movie. Man, <laughs> I may be immortal, but I'm not that old. And that was, you know, just a thing, because, you know, on the cheap. <laughs> so. But I digress seriously there from talking about The Flash movie, directed by Andy Muschietti, and it is actually a pretty good DC film, I thought. Um, you know, this is... some. Um, Something that I thought was not necessarily going to work, but uh, it did. It did. So, on to a look at that. We've just played the World's Collide Superman version of the, um, from the soundtrack album there. And who does those, as we said, um, uh, uh, Benjamin Wolfish one of those billion-dollar composers, had a lot of big hits in the movies. And, you know, so there's a reason for that. <laughs> I think you'd have to know that they've done so much, like uh, Blade Runner 2049, 75 feature films, British composer, the um, Shazam movie, so, you know, there's the DC connection, uh, It Chapter 2, so there's a the direct and the director's uh, connection, The Invisible Man, Hidden Figures, Cure for Wellness, you know, done a lot. So, and this one I actually think is a pretty credible, creditable score. That particular track there calls back to Superman of different ages across time and space and different variations of the franchise and so on. And, you know, it's got that whole thing running for it where it's reverential and referential and maybe a bit too much of that. But, you know, if you happen to be a DC fan, you're going to love that sequence. All right, but moving back to the actual film beyond the soundtrack. Well, you know, it's uh, the Flash has got a a long-legged legacy in DC Comics, uh, first appearing in the early 1940s. So, you know, a contemporary of um, Captain America and uh, other heroes of that era and Batman, of course, created by writer Gardner Fox and artist Harry Lampert. So this was actually in a comic book called Flash Comics. So it featured a, a hyper-fast superhero character who accessed a speed force to enable their powers. At least five different named humans have populated the character of the Flash. So a bit of a franchise himself, from Jay Garrick in those early days through to Barry Allen, which is the name given to the movie version played by actor Ezra Miller in this feature and also in previous Justice League member team-up movies and even popped up in the Peacemaker series. Uh, The Flash is iconically a member at various times of the Justice League, the Justice Society and all the Teen Titans. Uh, In fictional fact, the Flash's dimension-crossing powers have led them to being instrumental in many multiversal stories dating back to the 1960s in the comics and and so on. The Flash has consequently been played on small and large screen in both live-action and animated stories by a wide range of actors, so it's just as well that they run fast, which with some exception, and that's kind of bemusing given the multiverse context of this film, that doesn't play much into this movie as it's much more concerned with face-checking headliner multiverse variants of Batman and Superman. Uh, It's kind of ironic, I'm just saying, since it's a Flash who is the plot engine in what's his own feature film, after all. And they've been trying to get one of these up and running since the 1980s. So, yeah, he actually could have had a uh, uh, Tim Burton Batman contemporary Flash. And I think, don't quote me on this, but I think um, the producer, David S. Goya, kind of fancied Ryan Reynolds for the role back then. I don't know how it works. I could be totally wrong because there's some confusion in this film about movie casting. Uh, a nice little running gag, so to speak, is the fact that um, in some of the in one of the alternate universes, at least uh, Back to the Future, starred Eric Stoltz instead of um, Michael J. Fox. Anyway, speaking of, of actors, uh, Ezra Miller plays Barry Allen slash the, the Flash, and we know Miller from the Fantastic Beasts franchise and the. The psychological thriller, we need to talk about Kevin and even the, uh, the Stan television series in 2021 where he played Trash Can Man. Uh, I should have said them, them sorry. Uh, uh, we also know, or they, we also know them from a lot of uh, relatively recent legal uh, entanglements, which as is Zero G's preference, we will not refrain from mentioning because it is whatever it is, and no fan should ignore such things just because they like an actor's on-screen work. I don't have time to go into it, but the, into the many active controversies surrounded, surrounding Miller's life off-screen, but I do acknowledge them. And if you wish to run your seeing this film through that filter or not, I am certainly not the one to disrespect, disrespect your choice. Now, as to their performance in this film, Miller plays the character of The Flash pretty much note-perfect with the expected quick-paced dialogue nailed, courtesy of the Flash's hyper-metabolism, which is also comically referenced in the character's constant need for refueling with pretty much any food that they can get their hands on. Miller also makes much of the body English of the Flashes running, especially in the manga-anime-like poses to stop and start their action. The relationship with Flash's mother and father is also convincingly and often movingly portrayed, Uh, Though they've also backed off, well, sort of, because it's complicated by the multiverse, the awestruck Bat-fan worship and the exhilaration that Flash first exhibited when they started working with the Justice League of America members. I mean, come on, you know, sidekick, or is it sidekick, to Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman? Hey, (laughs) what are you going to do? Barry Allen in this film is a police forensic investigator from Central City, and they've already been for all these other Justice League events and so on, so they've chilled out a little bit about all that kind of thing. And actually at the stage where they're a bit sick of being asked to tidy up at super speed after Batman and Wonder Woman and the others have all been through some particular catastrophic crime scene or whatever. So... I can, I can actually get that. So there's a nice little human side to this Flash story that um, sometimes you miss in some of the bigger overblown superhero epics. But don't worry, there's plenty of spectacle in this one. So Miller also gets to play a couple of other parts in this. And you have to really believe that they have the same motivation as Bruce Wayne does for his parents. And, and you do too, I suppose. But, uh, you know, we do buy that. Miller sells that quite effectively in the film. So Miller's character ignores warnings from wiser heads, and there are always wiser heads in a comic book movie, and exploits their superpowers for personal gain, which is to say they want to bring justice for... which, well, they are in the Justice League, so, you know, why not, to a couple of past wrongs. Um, The flashes, which is to say Barry Allen's mother, has been lost in a tragedy years ago. And in some respects, so has the Flash's father as well. So the Flash, once discovering that they can cross between multiverses, decides to sort that out, to go back in time and put things to right. And you know... That never works out well. We've seen that so many times. And yet The Flash and Barry Allen have seen Back to the Future. They should know how this works. You can't name-check that movie without going into that and going, oh, maybe this is not such a great idea. But what are you going to do? And I often wonder if Tony Stark would have gone back to try and put his parents' Unfortunate demise to rights if it had the chance to do that, apart from, you know, saving the entire universe. But, you know, what can you do? All right, so Miller does a good job in this film and relates well to the other soups and Capes and so on who appear in it. So, you know, cred points there where they're due. Other people in this, and one of the people who The Flash relates to, is Sasha Kale playing... Supergirl which is to say Kara Zor-El. Again, all of this is in the trailer so shouldn't be any spoiler to you. Um, uh, certainly won't be to most DC fans. So, now this is um, a very very strong Kryptonian, Kal-El which is to say Superman's cousin, uh, a multiversal variant, and um, Kale is the uh, the first Latina actress to play Supergirl too, which is mm, about time I would say. Uh, We know Kale, or at least some people would know, but I wouldn't, from The Young and the Restless from 2018 to 2021. So, you know, hundreds of episodes of that. But I think this is actually her feature film debut. (laughs) I just caught myself speaking faster in sort of innocent uh, homage to the Flash in the film, because he does that all the time. Clearly, I need to get myself a muesli bar or something like that. Or a Scooby Snack, that would also help. Now, Sasha Kale uh, does a really good ro- job of playing Supergirl. Um, she's not given a whole lot to do beyond some of the superpowered things, but, you know, it is a superhero movie. And as we have said before, oft on Zero-G, you need to demonstrate the physical side of these characters because it's exactly like dance in a musical. It informs the characters. It drives the plot, and that's what it is for. It's a character all in itself, or a character trait at least. She's not given a whole lot to do, but she does bring a whole lot of justified anger to the role, which is quite appropriate given what is done to her during the course of this movie. We also, and I hope to see her in future um, DC EU movies, and that's quite likely. Going forwards, because I know that there's a um, a Superwoman movie in, in the uh, in the works too. Uh, all of this sort of uh, floating there, out there in a bit of limbo with the writer strike. DC cannot catch a break, can they? Um, and I don't mean that with any disrespect at all to the entirely justified writer strike. It's just that everything seems to be against them in their attempts to make up. Uh, a franchise that would uh, equal Marvel. And it's kind of, as we said before, with the multiverse thing, they're always like one step behind. Uh, And given that they actually started out quite strongly back in the 1970s with DC movies, you kind of think, oh, ah, this is so sad. And it's frustrating too. I'm not entirely in the DC box as a comic book genre fan, uh, but I have enjoyed the adventures of many of these heroes in comic books and so on over the years. So it's sad. Anyway, speaking of sad, there's Michael Shannon playing General Zod. And Zod is a sad old fellow, really. He's uh, the bad Kryptonian that we saw in Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. And now here he is back again for The Flash. Michael Shannon, most recently I remember from uh, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. But I think one of the best things I've seen him in was playing... Um, Uh, Sort of a wigged out guy in William Friedkin's 2006 psychological thriller, Bug. He has a great role in that, really hyper. Here he is a bit more laid back, but still evil (laughs) in this one. Well, he wasn't evil in Bug, but, you know. Uh, He has, of course, the equivalent powers of Superman as a Kryptonian who's come to Earth. A lot less experience, though. So there's that. And... um, He's involved in the action here, playing the uh, the villain himself, in the big battles that are inevitable with this kind of film. Uh, playing um, Barry Allen's uh, father, Henry, is Ron Livingston from um, who? I, Where did I first see him? The uh, Band of Brothers uh, miniseries, you know, the World War II one set in Europe. Um, he played a captain in that, and. He's replacing Billy Crudup, who uh, played the father role in Justice League and, and um, the uh, the director's cut as well, the Zack Snyder one. Oh, my God. Mentioning that just makes me lose the will to live, seeing that Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League. <sighs> Could have cut it into at least two movies and I might have been able to handle it, but, you know, there we go. Uh, Maribel Verdú, Spanish actress, plays... Uh, Maria uh, Roland, the um, uh, ch- ch- sorry I'm getting the actress's name confused with the actor it does sometimes happen especially in a multiverse she plays Nora Allen pure and simply um, we've seen her in Pan's Labyrinth back in 2006 Snow White in 2012 she was Nora Allen in the um, uh, DC Universe ...since this film, so it is possible that she will be going forwards in this... ...but not likely, but we'll see. Uh, But she's been in a superhero film before, the 2018 Spanish film Super Lopez... ...which was based on a comic strip of the same name. (laughs) She's got a bit of form there. Um, Both she and Ron Livingston are exactly where they should be you know sometimes these thankless kind of roles don't get a shout out but you know they are convincing parental unit figures for the flash i can't quite see how he comes from them to where he is but you know i guess that would uh, it wouldn't be the first person to fall far from the trees anyway we also have uh clemons playing iris west Uh, notional future love interest for the Flash character, Um, but here playing a journalist who doesn't contribute a whole lot to the plot but serves to move us around with a normal person's fairly lightly um, waved over the plot, sort of normal person's perspective. Um, Obviously, she's slated to play that role. In sort of future kind of things, but we did see her before in um, Zack Snyder's Justice League, uh, where the Flash. Oh, I'm trying to blank out the memory, but I, of the whole film, but I think he saved her from a car accident or something like that. I oh, can't remember. Mercifully, so uh, we've got uh, Ajay Trell playing General Zod's second in command, a role which they've filled before in the. Um, Justice League Films, quite a noted German actress, appeared in a science fiction space horror movie called Pandorum, which I remember with shiversome delight. (laughs) She's also in um, uh, Man of Steel, of course, where she played the role of the Kryptonian 2IC once again. And also she's in the German Netflix series Dark, if you've seen that. Uh, fantasy uh, action film, Seventh Son, too, so appearing here. Not a lot for her to do but to beat people up. So it's a pity because she's a really good actress. Uh, Michael Keaton, of course, as you all know from the trailer, gets nuts in this film playing Bruce Wayne and Batman, who still clearly is doing all his bat exercises along the way. And I was really keen to see Keaton do this because, you know, I mean, okay, we know him quite well from the, the Batman 1989 series and Batman Returns in 92. Of course, that's the whole point of, of his appearance in this. But I wanted to see what he would bring to the role, coming back to it after having done, um, the, played a similar kind of character, the Vulture in the Sony Spider-Man movies. Well, you know, they've got both got winged motifs, so that counts as similar. But he also was in... Um, uh, Birdman, where he was playing uh, an actor who was known for playing a superhero. Uh, you know, that 2014 sort of black comedy drama film, Alejandro in in a Ritur's film. And that was a great performance in that. So I wanted to see what he would bring from those to this because it's kind of an extension of the, of his role. And he does do exactly what I thought he might do with a few surprises thrown in there. You know, this is like the the uh, not quite over the hill Batman, uh, seen it all, done it all, being brought back into the action hero fold by a coincidence of um, not exactly timing, but uh, of uh, themes. You know, I mean, you know, Bruce Wayne lost his parents, and uh, uh, and uh, Barry Allen has essentially lost his too. So we've got that similarity of collision. And so before you can say Martha. No, that doesn't happen in this film. Uh, they are making common cause in this. And it's a beautiful performance by Keaton. And, you know, and, and although Miller works very hard as the Flash character, he keeps having the scene stolen away from him by cameos from other people. It's just as well that they um, pile up the actor's challenges in this film because otherwise he'd sort of disappear into the background of his own feature film. But he does not, and that is to the actor's credit. Uh, we do know that there are many other cameos in this film. Oh, by the way, something I just found out today that I'd never really known, uh, Michael Keaton did the English dub version of Porco Rosso in the Studio Ghibli film. How about that? Um, I will not be able to watch that film with English dubs again without thinking of that. Ha. Huh. Okay. Now, there are lots of cameos in this film. Not going to go into them. You might not know of some of them uh, You know, look, it's full fan service in this film. They're really into it in this one. Um, We'll talk about that a little bit later on Zero G. Today, Rob Jan here, about to spin you another track from the Superman soundtrack album. Sorry, not the Superman one, (laughs) The Flash. Even I'm doing it. (laughs) Sorry, Flash. Uh, uh, I Am Batman by Benjamin Wolfish from The Flash OS T, right here on Zero G today Hi this is Scott Bakula welcome aboard Zero G on Free Triple R FM Yeah you will recognise those familiar riffs from the 80's Tim Burton Batman verse of course there I am Batman Benjamin Wolfish interpreting that f- for the Flash original motion picture soundtrack now Obviously, there's a lot of Danny Elfman thrown into that one. You can almost see the Batmobile churning through those autumnal leaves outside of the, the Bat Cave, Wayne Manor, and all that kind of thing. Yes, of course, you're going to see the Bat Cave in this movie. That's no spoiler. Everyone knows that. You can see it in the trailer. They tell you so much in the trailers now. Ah, oh, well. Okay, so as I said, uh, we're talking about the Flash movie today. And it is actually pretty Flash. It could have gone a lot worse than this. Uh, let's have a look at the actual film. We talked about the, the filmmakers and the actors and so on. Uh, Flash's powers are expressed well enough in this film. It is a character in itself, uh, with Miller selling the physical part of it, as I've said. Uh, the quantum tunnelling or phasing through walls that the Flash can do quite effectively. And the multi-dimensional aspect is also pretty cool. Although that's where the CGI special effects get a bit overblown. Um, and, you know, I'm the sort of person who rejoices in this kind of thing. And even for me, I thought, oh, I'm not quite there for the whole bit of that. But I did particularly like the Daily Planet effect that they use to depict the totality of other infinite worlds I thought that was a really good neat call out and relevant sometimes the cameos are like yeah okay box tick there box tick there you know collect them all but that I liked that because that was thematically appropriate for this film um, I did like a baby rescue scene with the Flash that's just as a uh, it's a tad sillier fun than the very cool depictions of the speeds to Quicksilver in the X-Men films and uh and the MCU as well. I thought that was really nicely done and a great way to uh, set things up in the film without having to explain it all. Although we are talking about Back to the Future before, and is it a commonality that um, all time travel things have to have something to do with lightning? <laughs> I don't know. How many gigavolts do we need for that? Now, is this more than the sum of the parts of other movies and television shows name-dropped in it? Whew. You know, like Quentin Tarantino will do that in one of his pastiches and, and get away with it uh, because a lot of them are obscure ones that you would not necessarily pick up. And, you know, even I don't intercept all the Easter eggs or anywhere near all of the Easter eggs in those films and then have to just go through and chuckle at them later on as I find out about them. Whew. Is it more than some of other movies' parts? Well look, there's a star turn of Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield's Spider Men interacting with Tom Holland's Warcrawler and Spider Man No Way Home. That's kind of the gold standard for me. But here, Miller's Flash and one other character do achieve something close to that with Michael Keaton's Batman. It's not as complex or as on screen as much or as inflected, but you know, you can fairly judge a fan by where they react to the callouts of previous Justice Leaguers, and you know when Keaton appears and i uh, will ramp that up. Um, it did thrill me, and you know, I thought that was worthwhile to see. Um, I don't know if it was worth all the money they spent on this film because they spent bucket loads on it, um, but you know that requisite thrill does happen to me a couple of times, and uh, the other times it was mostly just oh cool or huh. And I I do appreciate the way the origin story of Flash's powers are deftly folded into this film, so we've not really had that before in these DC films for that character. If only this film was set within a fully functional DC film franchise, it would kick in a lot of ways. And You know, we have been talking about the multiversal glut so that all the plot points in this feel like strong echoes which is kind of thematically ironic when talking about multiverses. Um, But there's a particular type of prison that appears in this that we've seen so often in several genre productions relatively recently. It's just like same, same, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, okay, once again. Um, The costuming was great fun in this film. Um, You know, Alexander Byrne doing that, working in consultation with Bob Ringwood, who was, I think, uh, Tim Burton's um, costumer for the Batman 80s films, Um, Several nice takes on updating what is clearly iconic and collectible in Funko Pops or action figure garb. Uh, The super suit was very, very cool. Um, I think uh, Kale wears that exceptionally well. Um, The assorted Cape Crusader kit is notably less tactical than the contemporary ones that we're used to. Um, I thought that was all great. All those aspects, you know, um, the Batcave, um, all of the gadgets, that kind of thing, all Terrific, you know, and I'm I almost I don't take them for granted because there's a lot of hard work put into this by all of the other thousands of people who work on one of these big major motion pictures, which is actually measures up to being a, a kind of an epic in its own way, even though it's like a secondary kind of Justice League character. Oh, I don't know, uh, still. I thought that the music worked well, suitably poignant and epic and at times reverential without being too bad, although there's a couple of times I'm thinking, ah, come on, you know. Look, as an exercise in reprocessing the tailings of their own intellectual property minds, they could have gone way worse with this film. It does function as a soft reboot now that James Gunn is taking over like the, uh, the franchise running or DC, which is something that they've really needed all along. You know, they need a Kevin Fogey sort of character, uh, someone steeped in the lore and who loves the characters. I'm not sure if the man who brought Suicide Squad uh, in its um, new, f- more recent form to the screen is the guy to do this, but he's got such a, an irreverent take on superheroes. You know, he's like post uh, Alan Moorish in his uh, approach to it, you know, we've seen his films before, his independent superhero films, as well, of course, as his magnificent Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy, and he knows so much about it and brings so much inflection to it that it kind of it reminds me a lot of Peter Jackson. Uh, you know, Peter Jackson's got that <laughs> that gore soaked um, independent film career before the Lord of the Rings and so on. Um, and occasionally that sort of shows through into those films. So I think Gunny's sort of stuff does the same thing um, in its own way. And I think that's all to the good. So I do wish them well as they proceed further, you know, once they figure out where the hell they're actually going and what they're doing. Uh, it must be so difficult to be kind of marching one step behind Marvel and kind of being always overshadowed by stuff that 's come before, occasionally they, they they manage to whip ahead, uh, like with the the uh, the pet superheroes' movie, the animated one um, which kind of like you know steals the oxygen from the room it wasn 't a great movie though unfortunately, but nevertheless, uh, you know and then Marvel will sort of click out with already having its monster verse sort of stuff introduced so. Cleverly and and concisely and clearly in the uh, the Werewolf by Night um, <laughs> holiday special, you know that kind of thing. But you know, it's like a sort of uh, punch and counter punch sort of uh, rivalry between them on screen. At least, um, no, I, I don't agree with The Rock, who says that he thinks that um, a Marvel DC crossover on screen would be a, a great idea. Not at this stage. I I can't see how that would work quite well. Although I have read very many uh, good Marvel-DC crossovers in the day. Marvel um, Avengers versus the Justice League in DC comic books in particular. Great stuff. Great fun. But, you know, is that all going too far away for people in the mainstream? I don't know. I can't tell (laughs) because I'm too steeped in this stuff, marinated in it. Uh, it leads to origins for superheroes. For me, it just means I'm doing zero G today on the show. <laughs> That's it. All right. Well, in terms of, yeah, nah, maybe for the Flash. Ooh. I'll, I'm going to mull that over a little bit. And right now, we played you um, I'm Batman and uh, Worlds Collide, the Man version from the uh, from the soundtrack. Uh, we're going to go with Superman here. Benjamin Welfish doing a riff upon that famous character. Not Helen Slater playing her this time, but nevertheless, a very good interpretation of Supergirl. And I think that um, this will eclipse some of the previous <laughs> ones. Uh, possibly not the television show, which has had so much airtime, so has uh, an enhanced and uh, more textured signal because of that. So, up, up and away. or Whatever Superman, Supergirl's catchphrase is. I don't think it's try not to die. That would be kind of not entirely appropriate for a super Kryptonian. This is Peter Woodward. I play the Technomage Galen in Babylon 5 and Crusade. And you are listening to Zero G. Who do you serve and who do you trust? I'd like to be served with lunch, actually, at the moment. (laughs) Rob Jan here on Zero G. Supergirl, Benjamin. Well, track from The Flash. I just realised I've played mostly tracks that had to do with other heroes in The Flash's own feature movie. So long awaited since basically the 1980s. And here it is. Uh, Yeah, no, maybe. I'm going to go with, uh, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed this DC film. Don't often say that. Do in this case. I think they've done themselves quite well with it. it. It all gets too much for you with the nostalgia fest. That's fair enough. I can certainly understand that. If you feel like you've seen it all before in so many different Marvel productions across m- movies and live action and animated and television shows, you're probably right. You know. But we'll give them their moment in the yellow sun in the sky because you know, Supergirl and Superman, after all, are – Solar powered. All right. What about, is it about multiverses at the moment? Um, You know, it's just such a a big thing everywhere all at once. Why the multiverse? Do we want a world without COVID? And did they have a deal with COVID in the MCU? It doesn't seem to have occurred there. Maybe there weren't enough people after the, uh, the snap during the blip to spread it. Maybe we want a universe where Hillary Clinton was US president and we didn't switch to bizarro world like we did. Or maybe Al Gore could have been president at some stage and we have gotten more traction on climate change. These alternative counterfactuals are to be longed for, I have to say myself. I would uh, rather favour them. Can I jump timelines? How do I do that? I don't know if running fast enough will do it for me. Maybe if I get on a bicycle and do it. Why is there no Bicycle Man? Why is there no superhero who rides a bicycle a lot? Well, okay, that's left to the kids in 1980s movies. <laughs> Bicycles and walkie-talkies, that's it. And in retro <laughs> productions, Stranger Things and uh, the uh, the Paper Girls and so on. Ah, uh, well. All right, so, you know, alternative universes. I have been watching lots and lots and lots of stuff at the moment. A quick riff through them before I track... Star Trek Strange New World Season 2, Paramount+, Plus. they're in the second season following up the cliffhanger of number one, the executive officer of the Enterprise being outed as being genetically engineered, which is something of a problem in the United Federation of Planets since they went through the eugenic wars. And speaking of which, uh, Lieutenant Noonien Singh goes back in time to 21st century Earth. Is she going to hang out with Khan or what? Uh, There's a visit with the Klingons in one of the episodes that revises their look in a retro way from the extremes of Discovery. Lots of good fun. Star Trek Strange New Worlds continues to be a very solid entry in the Star Trek saga. I've also been watching, as mentioned last week, Deadlock, the outrageous Tasmanian Yer Noir on Amazon Prime. Uh, It's already a tour de force great comedy about mismatched detectives, but the LGBTQI aspect makes for some welcome riffs on the standard background character tropes and motivations. And it's also a cracking good mystery that still has me guessing very late in the series. It's unusual. Great to watch. Deadlock. Not safe for work, though, in terms of the language used. Also, Netflix has Nimona, an excellent animated science fantasy film, which I'm going to talk about next week. Uh, Rescued after Disney shut down the parent production company after it acquired 20th Century Fox. Uh, There's a shapeshifter and a knight, that's K-N-I-G-H-T, who would normally be pledged to destroy the shapeshifter. They team up. There's some signature cool animation and cutting-edge characters. It also features a a same-sex couple and a lot of unforced being-seen themes about being different. It's highly recommended. A great watch. Also, The Walking Dead, Dead City, is now on stand. Negan and Maggie team up in New York City, which is about as awful a place as you can imagine as it was the epicentre of the zombie plague in that world. They blew the tunnels and bridges to quarantine it there, and that worked as well as you would expect. It's now Walker Central. The tension between Mags and Negan is always going to be where it is. I mean... You know, what Negan did to the father of her son. You know, well, pretty awful stuff. And also the procedural of how there are any survivors at all in the dead city. It's quite interesting. Secret Invasion on Disney Plus is settling into a quite personalised spy-fire reflection upon an ageing Nick Fury, having to deal with his failure to fulfil his promise to the Skrull refugees who sought sanctuary on Earth in the Captain Marvel film. Not as up to the challenge as he used to be as Nick Fury, but Sam Jackson's take on the character and Olivia Colman as a British espionage competitor and Sam's interaction with Ben Mendelsohn as Talos the Skrull, all... Beautiful stuff to watch. A little bit slower pace than I thought it would be, but it picks up as it goes along. So that's Secret Invasion on Disney+. And that's about it for Zero G today. And we'll go out with a track from, again, from the uh, the soundtrack. Well, kind of. It's one of the needle drops in it. And it's uh, a song by Rosalia. Um, it's, uh, I'm going to butcher this because I can't work at it It's too long. C2 Superis Companero. And there's actually, if you can read the English language um, translation of this, it's got a lot of stuff about um, leagues, as in justice leagues maybe, and lanterns, as in green lanterns, and so on. Uh, But a great track, and I thought it was uh, very poignant. And it is um, uh, one of the tracks on uh, one of her albums, uh, more about which I can tell you in a second. Yes, it's from uh, her album, Los Angeles. And that will take us out to Joe Brunatic with Astral Glamour. Joe's superpower of his own is the most laid-back but absorbing show that you can listen to on a Monday afternoon. Because Zero G will just jangle you. You know that. (laughs) All right, off we go to Infinity and Beyond. And with great power comes No!